Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. I don't know about you, but you can teach me a whole lot of stuff on paper, or you can discuss the process of doing something with me until we both lose our voices. But until I go hands-on, I'm not only not sure of how to do what we've been talking about, but I'm going to lack confidence, and I might not even try doing what you have told me to do. I might just skip it altogether without having the experience myself. Good example is I could give you some detailed instructions and all the parts you need to put together your own computer. I could give you where the parts go, how to install the operating system, because it's not really a difficult process. I could give you all these detailed step-by-step things, but I'm guessing unless I brought you in and I walked you through it and I let you put some of the parts in yourselves and, and helped you do it, you would have very little confidence that you could build a computer on your own. Now, this is true for more than just technical things or mechanical projects, right? There's a dramatic difference in the way you prepare a meal when you are working through the recipe the first time and then after you've made it a few dozen times, right? Even the most seasoned chef might be mildly hesitant the first time through a recipe, especially if there's some more complicated things in it. But once you've done it yourself you might barely look at the recipe at all. You might just put a dash of this in or another, a little bit of that in to the recipe because you have confidence. You've done it. You've gone hands-on. You've learned by doing. I can think of a good example of this back to the first time I uh, did communion here in January of 2016. I had helped with communion nearly weekly for eight years when I worked at a church previously. I had been partaking in the Lord's Supper since I made profession of faith when I was 15 years old, yet I was extremely nervous because I'd never actually been the guy. I'd never had to go here and and do that and and say this and read this. At no point had I actually been hands-on with being the guy. Now, I still come to the table with gravity of what it is that we're doing, but I have a level of confidence that I could only get by going hands-on and doing it myself. And so as we move from the outstanding and amazing events of Luke chapter 8, and we step into chapter 9 today, we find that Jesus is sending out his disciples, and he is giving them hands-on experience. But Luke is doing more here than just letting us know the strategy that Jesus employed for getting his disciples up to speed on how to do ministry and the standard operating procedures of thus. He is letting us know that the authority that we've seen that he has is also resting upon his disciples. And so let's break down these nine verses and see what we have in front of us today. Now, the first thing that we're going to take a look at is Jesus sending out the disciples. And we will notice that he isn't just sending them out. He is sending them out and equipping them with authority here. And it isn't just Jesus saying, 
hey, you're my guys, and so people should listen to you, guys. Uh, it's not that type of an authority that Jesus is sending them out with. He's not telling them to believe in, him, believe in themselves. He actually grants them authority over demons, and he gives them the power to cure diseases. Secondly, we find that he doesn't just send them out haphazardly or without a purpose. He's giving them clear instructions, and they're actually interesting instructions. You and I wouldn't be too wild about these instructions that Jesus gives if they were handed off to you and I because they put you at the mercy of others. Having gone through a substantial portion of the Boy Scouts program, I personally have the motto, Be Prepared, deeply embedded into me. It is ingrained in who I am. And I'm guessing you have something similar that's a part of how you prepare to go places and do things. But Jesus doesn't have them pack up all the essentials and get ready to go. Instead, he has them relying on others who have received the message that he is spreading in regards to the kingdom of God. He is telling them to trust God. And finally, we are once again reminded by Luke that people are taking notice of Jesus. The message is spreading more and more because the disciples are now going out. There's 12 of them being sent. And then we find out something interesting. Suddenly, Herod is aware of who Jesus is. He is on notice. And this is interesting because Luke has shown us that Jesus isn't promulgating his message in large cities or getting the audience of kings and queens like we would expect the Messiah to do. Instead, he's going to the common people. But now we see that this message is reaching beyond the people and the places that we have seen Jesus preaching, teaching, and performing miracles. So with those three ideas lined out for us, let's get into the, the first verses, uh, first two verses of chapter 9. Now if you think back to what we saw last week, this seems like an interesting change of pace, doesn't it? In fact, I think we do well to really quickly refresh our memories on the entirety of chapter, uh, chapter 8 here. Because Jesus calmed the storm and he showed he had authority over nature. He caused the demons known as legion to go into a herd of pigs because even those evil spirits knew that Jesus had authority over them. And then last week we saw that he had authority over the affliction of the woman with the flow of blood. And we even saw that he had authority over death by raising the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Now as I've been driving home each week. This is a pretty impressive resume that Jesus has here. Jesus has authority over all things. Each of those things is an extremely substantial thing to have authority over. But Jesus, with all this power, he isn't getting his people together to overtake. We're not, we're not getting an army together to use the power of Jesus to overtake the centers of government power in Palestine, are we? Instead, we transition to chapter 9, and still, Jesus isn't looking to tear down the kingdom of the Romans to start an earthly kingdom here, is he? What we have here is definitely an amazing thing that Jesus is sending these men out with this authority. But at the same time, it's not the way that you and I would have written this script if we were making up the story. We'd establish 
Jesus as this one who has this amazing power over all these things, and then we would have him go and take down the people who opposed us. He would use that power that calmed the store to shut the mouths of those who oppress us. But that isn't the history of what happened in the first century. And Luke wants us to see that the goal was not earthly conquest here, but instead the mission of Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. And so while from our perspective this might feel like slamming on the parking brake at 70 miles an hour, it's actually the continuation of the ministry that Jesus has been doing. And it, and it proves to be important as we consider the continuing story that we know is going to take place with the death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. So we find here that Jesus calls together the twelve. Now, often I think we envision Jesus wandering around the countryside with just these twelve guys in tow, right? There's just them everywhere. But we know that Jesus had many, many, many followers. We've been seeing that. But here, Luke is deliberate to single out these 12 guys because they're the ones who are closest to Jesus. And we also get the idea from what is said here that maybe they aren't always together because Jesus has to actually call them to come together. And this really shouldn't surprise us because all of these guys would have had different homes. They would have had families to care for. Uh, Their obligations, their responsibilities would likely make it very difficult for them to be the 12 together all the time. But what Jesus is saying here is important. And so Jesus calls them together. He's bringing them all together. And this gathering has a purpose. They're gathered for the purpose of giving them authority so that they might be sent out. And we've seen throughout the book of Luke that Jesus has this unique authority over all these things. And now this authority is being distributed to the twelve. And so this sets the twelve disciples apart from everyone else, all the other masses that are following Jesus. These guys are the ones that Jesus has bestowed a particular status upon. And it's important for us to remember this Because while Judas was replaced, obviously, at the beginning of the book of Acts, it is the twelve disciples, as the church goes forward after the ascension of Jesus, it is these twelve guys who are performing miracles in this same vein that we're talking about here after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus in the book of Acts. These are the guys with authority. These are the guys that we need to listen to as the church is being established. So what is the purpose of this gathering to place this authority on the disciples? And we see that it isn't for the purpose of impressing each other with their amazing powers. Wow, you healed this, I healed that, right? They're not showing off. And it isn't also so that they can feel good about how cool they are. We're the inner circle. We're the twelve. We're the special guys that follow Jesus. That's not the purpose. They show the people both those present at that time and those who are going to hear about this later, that includes you and I, that Jesus is a messenger from God. As I always say, we have the assumption often that miracles were the norm in the Bible. But that's not the case. They're miraculous. And we call them miracles for a reason. Think about when there is an abundance of miracles in the Bible. Moses did a lot of miracles during the Exodus and the wilderness wandering. And it was to communicate 
that what was happening there was a work from God. As the disciples go out and spread the good news of the kingdom, the miracles that they are given authority to do, it authenticates the message that they're spreading. It acts as a sure and certain sign that God is at work, that he is moving through the preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we move on to our second point, I think there's a vital point of application for us here in this opening two verses today. While we aren't going to go out with the authority to do these miracles, because the message of Jesus has already been authenticated. That was the point of the miracles. You and I don't have those gifts today. But we are a people who, like the disciples, are gathered. And we are sent out. Each week we are gathered by the Word, and we hear that Word of authority, and then we are sent out from this place to do the work of the kingdom, just like the disciples were called to do. We're gathered, and then we're sent out. Again, just like the disciples. By the work of the Word and the Holy Spirit within us, we are equipped to proclaim the message of the kingdom and do the work that God has called us to do. We'll talk about that more later. And so, as we consider the disciples being sent out and us being a sent-out people as well, it's important that we see that the disciples here are to trust God. Because the instructions here are, are interesting. As I mentioned when I was lining out the points, this kind of goes against our grain of being prepared, doesn't it? How you and I would do this would probably be something like this. Okay, disciples, you've probably noticed that while a lot of people really like what we're doing and what we have to say... There are also those who aren't too wild about what we're teaching. You've met those Pharisee guys, right? Uh, And so pack plenty of clothes in case there's a mob and they get your clothes all messed up or torn. Also pack a few bags of meals anytime you head out because uh, they might refuse you service at the local eating establishment because you're my follower. And and get yourself one of those little pup tents and a self-inflating mattress Uh, air mattress, because there might be some places where you won't be able to get a place to spend the night. Okay, For those of us, those of you like me, who pack 25 pairs of socks and underwears for a three-day trip, these instructions from Jesus probably make you really uncomfortable. I mean, this would give me more than a little bit of an anxiety, and you might be the same. But the point here that is being driven... Home is total reliance upon God. They aren't taking anything with them, no staff. Remember, this was not just a walking stick for them. This was an instrument of protection. They are at the mercy of wild animals, something totally out of their control, but they are called to trust God. They aren't going to take any bread. You'd you'd think they should at least have a little snack with them, but nope, that's not the case. Jesus says nothing at all. And no money. Well, what if they need a little something? Surely they could rely on God and and yet still have a little money to fill in the gaps of what isn't provided for them, right? Is that too much to allow? I don't think I need to expand upon why that's concerning here. This would be difficult. And think about this. Only one tunic, only one pair of clothes with first century hygiene? I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just going to be honest. 
So as we consider these instructions, you, you get the idea that this is about relying on God. It's about trusting God. These disciples have been blessed by God. He will keep them and he will provide for them. There will come a day where they are persecuted. And even many of these men are going to be martyred. In the face of that, they're going to have to rely on God and not on their own strength. And so they are getting this hands-on experience that will prepare them for the difficulty of ministry that is going to come. They have watched Jesus, but now they're going to get this experience on their own. And they're not only expanding the scope of the ministry of Jesus, obviously 12 people can go a lot more places than one, but but with what is taking place here, they are being shown to be the servants and messengers of Jesus And they are getting real experience on how they are to trust God alone when Jesus is absent from them after the ascension to the Father's right hand. We're seeing that they not only get the experience, they know how to do it, but we're seeing that they will have the authority of Jesus to teach and to heal after he is no longer with them. And there are two other elements to notice here quickly before we see that the ministry of Jesus is being noticed by Herod. First, we we see that they're only to stay in one place, right? The the idea here is that they are to rely on who God provides for them, but also they're not to outstay. They're welcome. Go from town to town, they're told to do. Stay in one place, spread the message, and then move on. And this shows the sense of urgency here, the urgency of the message of Jesus. And it reminds us how important this message is. Then the other thing that we see here in these instructions from Jesus is is that when they are not received, they're to shake the dust off their feet. That's kind of hard to hear. Our natural inclination is that these are the places where you should actually go and you should stay. If they don't receive the message, why would I want to leave? I shouldn't go from house, or I shouldn't go from one place to the next so quickly. They've rejected the message. I should stay here. I should do as much as I can, take my time here, and make my case for the message that I'm spreading, this message that we have from Jesus. But instead, the idea here that Jesus gives, telling them to move on quickly, he's basically saying it's not worth your time to say. Instead, he says to shake the dust off your feet. Now, I think you and I hear that phrase. We've heard that phrase many times. Shake the dust off your feet. For us, it just, it just means to move on. And we get the idea of what's being said here, but there's something deeper I want you to know before we, we go on to our last point. We need to understand what this would have meant in their culture, what the people that Jesus was speaking to here would have understand. It gives us a little bit more clarity about what Jesus is saying here. So in this time, those who were strict Jews... When they would get back from areas where there were Gentiles, they would be deliberate to clean off the dust from their feet. They had been among Gentiles. Gentiles were unclean. And they would clean the dust off their feet. That's how thorough they were to get away from that which was unclean. So what Jesus is saying here is that if they reject the message of the kingdom of God that they are spreading, the one that they are proclaiming to these people, then they're not the people of God. They're like the Gentiles. They have rejected the message and they have rejected God. 
So this is an intense statement. It's not just a cliche, yeah, shake the dust off your feet. This is a very powerful and significant statement that Jesus is making. It tells you the significance of the message that they are bringing to the people. This message is from God. And to reject the message is to reject Jesus. It is to reject God. Not just the messenger. It is to reject the message of the kingdom and what God is doing amongst them. So we see here not only the importance of the message, but the transfer of the authority to teach onto the disciples as they do what Jesus has given them the authority to do. Luke tells us that they depart. They actually leave. They actually do this. They go through the villages preaching the gospel. They are healing. And so the healing and the teaching ministry of Jesus is expanding. And we see that the expansion of this message is so substantial as we look at the final section of our passage today and move on to verses 7 and 9. We find here that Herod Antipas, who is the ruler of Galilee, is hearing about all of this. Now, as I process through everything that we've been reading here in Luke, I, I think it becomes easy for us to see this is all almost as if it's happening on a stage. This is a pretty big deal. In our minds, as we imagine this, it's almost as like this is a, a passion play and the whole world is watching, right? That's kind of how I think we, we picture the ministry of Jesus. But that's not what's happening. Nearly every moment of, of Luke is something that you and I have heard about multiple times, but as it was happening, who was there? You know, we're familiar with these stories from Sunday school. This is, again, like a passion play maybe for us as we watch this. But let's think about the stories a minute. Who saw Jesus calm the storm? It was just the disciples. And the incident with the demoniac in chapter 8, that was on the other side of the lake. They went across the Sea of Galilee, and it may have been Gentile territory because there were pigs there. Who was there? to see how this happened. A limited number of people. And then with the raising of the daughter of Jairus, remember what Jesus did? He sent everybody out. It was only the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, and the parents of the girl. Those are the only ones who saw it. It was by design. Jesus limited the message, right? Or limited the who could tell the story of what happened. And so we also saw the healing of the woman with the flow of blood. An amazing miracle. But even with that scene and all the people around it, how many people actually knew that that happened? We know because we have a wonderful first-hand account of what's happening. You and I are insiders in the story of Luke. But who would have heard? We have exclusive knowledge here as we're learning about Jesus. But how much would have been known around the countryside? So imagine... How this information about Jesus would have spread. A few people see it. And the word of mouth spreads here and there. All without picking up the telephone and making a call. All without texting your friends about what you saw. Or even without a video of all those pigs running in the lake going viral on social media. All of this is spreading this way. And despite the limitations of communication in that day... The word gets out, and here we find that it's going beyond just what the local peasants are talking about. Word has come to the one who is in charge of the region of Galilee, and it's perplexing to him. Again, you and I have inside knowledge of, of this, 
We know who Jesus is. Of course, Jesus is the promised one. He is the anointed one of Israel, the Messiah. But imagine that you're living through this with the limited knowledge that you would have. Who could this be? What is going on? Now, John the Baptist, he was a pretty big deal, but Herod Antipas had him beheaded. But people are saying he's been brought back from the dead. And even if Herod would have thought this, that maybe he's being punished for killing John or whatever, it's unlikely that that's the story. That may have been the buzz that was going around, but it's unlikely. Well, the other option that people are talking about is that maybe it's a prophet of old that has returned, like, like Elijah. Re- remember what I said about the significance of miracles. Miracles were not ordinary. And so if someone is doing all these miraculous works, then it must be someone from the past that they've read about, that they know the stories from their childhood. It must be one of these guys. This is who it has to be. They've come back. Again, these are very unlikely options. But you can sort of understand how Herod and the other people who are hearing all this are processing through what's happening. And the whole point is, is that this is unique. Something amazing is happening. And, and Luke wants us to know the word of Jesus is spreading. Even those who are the ruling elites in their culture are hearing about Jesus. And we see that Herod rejects the idea that it's John the Baptist because huh, I had him beheaded. It can't be him. But he asks this important question. Who is this? It's a natural question. You're, you're hearing of all these things. And they're miraculous, so much so that people wonder if the guy is Elijah. Who is this? He has to be significant. And the passage closes up with the statement that even Herod wants to see Jesus. Jesus is the man of the common people. But everyone from the top of the bottom of their social spectrum desires to be near Jesus and to see Jesus. So as we consider this desire of Herod's, we can understand why he wants to see Herod. We have have seen who Jesus is here in Luke. He has authority over all things, and now he is even able to send out others to do the amazing things that he is doing. This not only expands the message of Jesus, but it also helps us to understand the authority that Jesus has even further Even when Jesus is absent in the body, by the power of his name, he has the power to heal. And so everyone should listen to Jesus. So we come back to that point of application that I brought up before, back when we were transitioning to our second point. You and I, like the disciples are called, we are gathered, we come together to hear the word of the Lord, and then we are scattered from this place to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. Now we become intimidated by that because I think that we believe if we can't pack a stadium like Billy Graham, why should we even get started? We also feel that we are unequipped to share the faith with anyone, but as we hear the word and we are sent from here, We are a people of God that has been equipped because we have been blessed with the Word and with the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And so as we consider our ministry that we have to proclaim the good news and to help and to serve others as we depart from here as the sent people of God, 
I want us to consider what I began with today as our second point of application. Like I mentioned with recipes and building a computer, it's best when we get the opportunity to go hands-on and to learn that way. Regardless of which direction that you or I feel a nudge and a calling from God to do His work in our lives, I bet we all know someone who is gifted in that area. And I'm certain that they would not only be willing to help you go hands-on, but I bet they would also be honored to share the gift that God has blessed them with to help you serve His kingdom. Maybe you feel as though God has called you to a ministry of visiting the sick or visiting the homebound. We have multiple people just in our congregation alone with this amazing gift of visiting and caring for others. Perhaps you want to start your teaching and proclamation of God's Word with your children, but you aren't sure where to begin. Well, find someone who has raised their children in the face and ask them to take you hands-on in doing God's work in that way. And these are just two quick examples that naturally flow from the healing and proclamation ministry we saw modeled for us in the disciples today. But you and I could easily have a conversation and come up with other gifts that God is calling us to use for His glory and for His kingdom. And so our challenge is to not only be the gathered people of God, but to be the sent out people of God. May we depart from here this week with the desire to go hands-on serving the kingdom of God, that God's people might be blessed by our service to our Savior, and Christ might receive all the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.